1922, the first unofficial adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula would make its way to German theatres. With screenings in Germany and Hungary, the movie would have a short shelf life, and within three years, culminating in July 1925, German courts would rule that the movie be rounded up and all prints burned. It wasn't the horrors contained within this movie in 1922 that would force the court's hand to order the destruction of the movie. Rather, it was Bram Stoker's widow Florence who sued the production company behind the movie for plagiarism. This would be one of the only cases in recorded history where a court would order the entire destruction of a film. This movie was almost never seen out with Germany and Hungary for a three year period. But still, today you can buy it on DVD and Blu-ray. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you're listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition, T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Welcome to the debut episode and season premiere of Chronicle Podcast. An almanac of old world horrors. I'm your host, Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs. And over the next six episodes in season one, we will be looking at vampirism in European horror cinema. Now, Chronicle Podcast is a project that I've wanted to do for quite a while and I'm blessed to be given the opportunity to start it this year in 2016. This podcast, unlike other podcasts out there, will exclusively look at European horror cinema, covering the ages in which it existed from the very beginnings of silent cinema right through to the most modern of European horror movies. We will be picking each season six movies that cover a particular subgenre. Now those six movies may be very well known or at times fairly obscure but we will try and cover the decades with these movies and give you the stories not only of how the movies were made and the people involved with them but also review the movie as well. This is my first venture into solo podcasting and anyone out there that has listened to any of my other shows will know that I tend to to work with others but as a result of this being a solo show the episodes will be much shorter and the plan is to try and make them feel quite bouncy and uplifting for your commute into work or (laughs) as a way to get to sleep or or whatever you're doing to pass the time 30 minutes in the gym for cardio I don't know these shows here will be hopefully if you're a horror fan or just getting into horror give you a list of movies that you can check out or go back and revisit and and maybe give you some information behind the movies. So first up, with all that in mind, will be Nosferatu on this debut episode from 1922. On the next episode, we will be looking at the 1930s movie Vampire, and then following that up with a little movie from the 1960s by a director called Bava in Black Sunday. After that, we trip to the 70s, and we'll be looking at a Jess Franco adaptation of Dracula, 
And then we'll be looking at a little unknown movie from the 1990s called The Reflecting Skin and bringing it home in the final episode, the season finale of season one of Chronicle, we'll be looking at what I consider a modern masterpiece, Let the Right One In. So I hope you stick around for the rest of this episode as we look over the rather strange and peculiar case of what exactly happened to Nosferatu. Like I said at the start of this episode, by 1925 this movie was ordered to be destroyed. Yet if all the copies were ordered to be destroyed, why are people still watching this movie today and why can you own it on high definition? Stick around to find out right after this. Nosferatu, aka Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, or by its German title Nosferatu Ein Symphony de Grunz, was shot in 1921 and released in 1922. It was directed by Friedrich Wilhelm Marnow, an essential name in the German Expressionist film movement. It was an unauthorised adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Marnow could be seen as unwittingly catching the attention of the Stoker estate as he had approached them prior to the movie's production, requesting the rights to adapt the then 25-year-old novel. His request was ultimately refused, but undeterred, filming began in earnest in 1921 with the backing of Prana Films. Prana Films were a film studio whose creation began that very same year. The movie would be the only title released by Prana, as the film company would soon file for bankruptcy during its lawsuit with the Stoker estate. Nosferatu debuted in March 1922 with a modest cinematic run through Germany and Hungary. In order to remove any potential litigations with Stoker's widow Florence, some of the names and other details were changed. For instance, Vampire became Nosferatu and Count Dracula became Count Orlok. By the time the movie had been released, Stoker's widow Florence had sued. And at the time that it finally reached court, Marnow's rampant spending on publicity for Nosferatu had bankrupt Prana Film. Despite Marnow's inability to pay, she continued the case and in July 1925, a German court ordered all prints of the film to be burnt. Miraculously, some copies did survive and although she did prevent a premiere in London in 1925, the film proved impossible to suppress and was released in the United States during 1929. By 1943, the movie was seen as an artistic masterpiece, sitting amongst some of the great of German expressionist horror movies. A miraculous achievement considering that Marnow's movie career had begun shortly after the end of the First World War in Germany, his very first movie being shot in 1919. He was very active in the German film industry until he emigrated to Hollywood in 1926. I imagine the successful smile on his face knowing that the movie that he had created back in 1921 would finally make its premiere in Hollywood amongst the glitz and glamour in the home of movies. However, Marnow would not be around 
to experience the critical success the movie would ultimately be given. He would die some two years later in the Hollywood Hills in a tragic car accident. The movie then moved into relative obscurity until it was rediscovered in the 1960s and since then the movie has been heralded as a masterpiece of silent cinema and one of the cornerstones of vampirism in movies. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stay with us. So what's the movie about? Thomas Hutter, played by Gustav von Wagenheim, lives in the city of Visborg, which is a fictional city created for the movie. He's sent at the orders of his employer to Transylvania to visit their new client, the ominous Count Orlok. And before embarking on his journey, he asks his dear friend Harding, played by George Schnell, to look after his wife Ellen, played by Greta Schroeder. Hutter stops for a bite to eat at an inn in the Carpathian Mountains, where he spooks the locals when he mentions of his meeting with Orlok. The villagers try to discourage him from travelling to the castle at night, warning of a werewolf who prowls the area. In the morning, Hutter takes a coach to the castle, but the coachman refuses to take him any further than the bridge when nightfall is approaching. Hutter is picked up by a mysterious coach which takes him across the bridge and he eventually is met at the castle by Count Orlok. While dining with the Count, Hutter accidentally cuts his thumb and Count Orlok tries to suck the blood out. Hutter is visibly disgusted by this and turns away. Both go to bed and when Hutter wakes in the morning he finds the castle is deserted and he appears to have fresh puncture marks on his neck. Hutter appears to believe this might be the result of mosquitoes and mentions it in a letter that he sends back to Ellen. At night, Orlok reappears and signs the documents to purchase the house across from Hutter's own home. In their closing of sale, he finds a photo of Hutter's wife, remarking that she has a lovely neck. Hutter is found reading a book about vampires that he took from a local inn and starts to suspect that Orlok is Nosferatu, the bird of death. Scared to death, he tries to board himself up in his room but is unable to, and as the clock strikes midnight, the door opens to reveal Orlok himself, but this time in his true form. Hutter faints in his bed. There appears to be a strange link between Ellen and Hutter as she awakes and sleepwalks towards the balcony. Harding manages to stop her from hurting herself just in time and they call a doctor to find out what has happened to Ellen. The doctor arrives and believes that this telepathic connection is due to what he calls blood congestion. The next day, Hutter decides to explore the castle where he finds a crypt. Orlok is resting in a coffin within. He becomes horrified and makes his way back to his room. Later, he sees Orlok packing up coffins on the coach and climbing into the last one before the coach leaves. He tries to escape the castle by climbing through a window but falls and is knocked unconscious. He later awakes in a hospital. In arguably the most terrifying and iconic scene of the movie, the shadow of Count Orlok can be seen climbing up a staircase. When Hutter is recovered from his injuries, he hurries home. However, the coffins are already being moved down the river on a raft and then shipped onto a schooner. 
One of the crew opens a coffin revealing a colony of rats and each sailor on the ship gets sick one at a time during the voyage until all that remains is the captain and the first mate. The first mate believes that the cargo is cursed and goes below to destroy the coffins. Orlok wakes up and the terrified sailor jumps into the sea. Unaware of this danger, the captain becomes Orlok's last victim on the ship when he ties himself to the wheel. Orlok arrives in Visborg, carrying one of the coffins and moves into his newly acquired house. The next morning, when the ship is inspected, the captain is found dead. After the logbook is examined, the doctors believe that it was the plague. The town is now in panic and people are warned not to leave their house. Deaths start to occur but mostly are blamed on plague. Orlok stares from his window at the sleeping Ellen, who has now read the book that her husband told her not to. The book claims that the way to defeat vampires is for a woman who is pure of heart to distract the vampire with her beauty all through the night. Ellen opens her window to invite the vampire in but faints and when Hutter revives her, she sends him off to fetch the professor. After he leaves, Orlok finally comes in. He becomes so engorged drinking her blood that he forgets about the coming daylight and when the roosters crow, Orlok vanishes in a puff of smoke. Ellen lives long enough to be embraced by her husband and the last scene of the movie shows the ruined Orlok castle in the Carpathian Mountains. Nosferatu is a very interesting movie and benefits from the time period it came out in, which is almost a decade before the universal movie Dracula, which was a legitimate adaptation of the Bram Stoker's novel. As a result, Count Orlok, played by Max Schreck in this movie, is not your typical vampire. He is less likely to win you over with a stare and a glare and a brooding personality as he is to look more like a feral creature. The impact of the German Expressionist movement on this movie sets up wonderful images. The iconic scene on the stairs of a shadow moving up as opposed to an individual which slowly gets bigger with each step due to the position of the light is something that is mesmerising and terrifying. And whilst the story isn't a great departure from the Stoker novel, there's enough in this movie to keep things quite interesting. Shrek's performance as Nosferatu and Count Orlok really does make this movie transcend and at the same time stand out amongst all movies containing vampires. In fact, the word Shrek literally means nightmare or terror in German. His makeup was done in such a way which made him look bat-like with long pointy ears and almost talon-like fingers and protruding fangs. Where Lugosi's poetic movement as Dracula could be seen as romantic, you could not say the same about Shrek's vampire. His eerie, almost zombie-like walk would almost be at home in something like Frankenstein, a deliberate 
paste killing machine which has been interpreted and reused in cinema from then onwards. In this realm it's more akin to Stoker's description of the vampire than it would be for the romanticised version for Hollywood. With this movie being silent, all we can go on is our actors' interpretations and interactions of their encounters with Shrek. And through that, you get a sense of how imposing the actor was in the role. At times, actors do appear to be genuinely terrified of his presence on screen. Nosferatu is 94 years old this year and is equally as terrifying as captivating as it was on its initial release in 1922. We should all feel blessed that this movie did not end up fully destroyed and committed to the flame and that some copies managed to find their way out. Not only is this one of the definitive vampire movies of all time, but the movie is one of those highlights and gems within a period of European horror cinema which stands out remarkably because it pushes boundaries, it is different and it shapes the way that cinema moves forward. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stay with us. And you've been listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. We've been discussing the movie Nosferatu. At this point, I'd just like to thank everyone for checking out this show and hopefully you will join me on this six episode journey looking into some more vampire movies from European horror cinema. On the next episode, we will be looking at Vampire from 1932. Directed by Carol Theodore Drea. But right at the end of this show, I want to thank a very special person, Von Herzog, who wrote and composed our opening and closing theme. He's an incredibly talented musician who has worked on the likes of the Retro Promenade releases. Um, and you can check out his stuff at vonherzog.bandcamp.com. There will be a link to that in the show notes for this episode. The exciting part about this show is that moving forward we're going to be covering a lot of European horror cinema and in season two we'll be changing up the subgenre completely and I can't wait to get into that but we have tons, tons of vampire movies still to cover in the interim. I hope you join me in two weeks time when we look at vampire on episode number two of season one of Chronicle Podcast. Chronicle Podcast was written, recorded and produced by me for you. Remember, leave us some reviews and love over at iTunes. And remember, you can check out my other show, The Podcast Under The Stairs at tputzcast.com and over on iTunes as well. Until the next time, remember, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. This is Duncan from Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horror. Until the next time. Ignition. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Lift off.